by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Well, let's turn in our Bibles to Psalms 133. And we're going to read the whole thing. Don't worry, it's only three verses. Some of y'all, oh. next week I'm going to turn to Psalms 119 and read the whole thing. <laughs> 150 verses, no. <clears throat> okay. Verse 1 says, how wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. I just love that verse. Don't you love that? Do you want a wonderful and a pleasant life? How wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters live together in harmony. Just think how it must be for the Gatlin brothers or the Statlers. <laughs> no, just kidding. That went right over somebody else's head. They sing harmonies, you know. Have you ever heard, maybe, maybe we didn't hit all our notes today, but when, when voices come together, and everybody's singing their part and singing the right part and not trying to sing somebody else's part. And they're all hitting the harmony together. Oh, how wonderful and how pleasant it is. And I think you're going to see right here in this verse that that's how God wants us to live together in harmony. For harmony is as precious as the anointing oil that was poured over Aaron's head that ran down his beard and onto the border of his robe. Harmony is as refreshing as the dew from Mount Hormon that falls on the mountains of Zion. And there, say there, there. the Lord has pronounced his blessing, even life everlasting. What? Now, I don't know how you read that, but you could read it to say, okay, on Mount Zion, the Lord has pronounced his blessing of life everlasting. Or you could read it to say, there in the harmony. Which one do you think it is? I don't know. In the immortal words of Forrest Gump, you know, I think it could be both. <laughs> it could be both. I know that life is wonderful and pleasant in the harmony. How wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. Now, I told you last week about how I treated my little brother. <laughs> you remember the story? Okay. I got him to confess to me his sin, what he had done, and told him I wasn't going to tell. As soon as I got home, I opened the door and said, Mama, he stole $5 out of your purse. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't very nice, was it? That's not brothers living together in harmony. That's why I got hit in the back of the head with that tube of crickets. But you have to go back to last week to hear the whole story. But I will say this, there, although there were so many things that I did mean to my little brother, picked on him all the time, just, you know, how big brothers are. But nobody else better pick on my little brother. 
I mean, I was six years older than him, and, and he could take care of himself in his own age group, but if somebody my age was to pick on my brother, then they got a problem. In fact, one day, my brother came home. Somebody had stolen his Huffy bicycle, and he went on about that for two or three days, about how he's going to find who stole his bike and all this, and he knows who it might be. and all. This. Then one day he came home. He said, Guy, Guy, my bike's across the street. I know who got it. This big kid's got it over at the school. We lived across from the school. So I'd run out of the house. I said, show me. Went over there, and so, sure enough, the guy was about my age, and he was riding on a Huffy. It was a different color than Heath's, but he, Heath was guaranteeing me that he had painted it, you know, to disguise it. <laughs> so I went over there, and I said, what are you doing with my brother's bike? He said, this ain't your brother's bike. This is my bike. I said, that's my brother's bike. I went over, and I grabbed him by the collar, and I put him up against the building. I said, you ain't stealing my brother's bike. He said, it's my bike. I said, no, it ain't. He goes, okay, you can have it. <laughs> I said, don't come around this neighborhood no more. I had, never, I had never seen that kid before. I didn't see him after that either. And so we got the bike and we went home. And later that evening, Heath was taking it apart and getting ready to repaint it or something. And he came in there and he said, God, I, think, I don't think that was my bike. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to life in the real world. Why did I tell this story? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why I tell these stories. But life is more pleasant when brothers live together in harmony. And, and brothers, you know, that was, bef that was B.C. That was before Christ. And we didn't really know how to get along. You know, in God's kingdom, I should have been nice to the guy with the bike, and maybe we could have talked it out and figured it out, right? But before Christ, we didn't have a clue about how to get along. But now, we should know better, right? Last week, we talked about how loose lips can sink ships, you know, the words of our mouth. We talked about it can even bring down nations. It certainly can ruin your own life. Just the way you speak can ruin your own life. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. And then we got, we got to stepping on some toes. We, we talked about how your words in the church can even bring down a church. You know, just about every church split, every church that's ever went under was because the devil convinced people to start talking and saying ungodly things. And so I got to preaching on that. I started stepping on my toes and your toes. I noticed a lot of you are wearing steel toes today. You, <laughs> You came in the building, you know, sideways. You didn't want to step, get nobody to step on your toe. I started to get a podiatrist to preach today because we thought we might need it. But bear with me because I don't want to live in the world's culture. Like Callan said, I want to live in our culture. And I was, I'm standing here behind this pulpit as the shepherd of this flock to say that I'm standing up for our culture. And that's why. I, I, this is not my message. I didn't know these things needed to be spoken. I just said, okay, Lord, I'll preach it. And as I began to preach it, I, so many people came up to me and said, good preaching, Pastor. I guess it was going on under the surface. I didn't know. But God is trying to help us to stay with the program, to stay on Mark. We're living in a, in a society 
that has come up with this thing called cancel culture. Have you heard about that? Cancel culture. I, I begin to look into it. What does this mean? I mean, I saw them digging up stuff on politicians from when they were back in high school and stuff. And, and things that you've done long, long time ago and dragging it out in an in a effort. I wrote, here's my uh, definition that, that I, the way I see cancel culture. It's publicly shaming someone because of their differing opinions or past mistakes in an attempt to silence, disgrace, or humiliate. Basically to silence them, to get them out of the way. Because we don't, I don't like what you, the way you think. I don't like the way you look. I don't like what political party you belong to. I don't even like what denomination you go to. All these things. Writing for the City Journal, Robert Henderson describes canceling as an entertaining hobby, an indulgent dopamine-feeding activity practiced on social media until its cruel practitioners ultimately get bored and follow the algorithms somewhere else. In other words, it's just being mean for being mean's sake. They get on there and just type whatever they, because nobody's standing in front of them. Nobody's jacking them up against the wall like they should be, you know. They just say whatever. They're just being mean for mean's sake. Social media has done that. It's given everybody a voice. And the voices that are coming out in society today are not harmonious. And I'm telling you, I'm standing up for the culture of the church of Jesus Christ. We're not having that in here. We're going to make beautiful music together. And I'm going to tell you today the possibilities of this little church, the possibilities of your life outside of this culture of this world, outside of cancel culture. What, are you kidding me? Because of past mistakes? Do you really want your past mistakes brought up? I mean, we say, yeah, get, to, get him. Oh, he did that in 1978, bring that up. Do you want what you did in 1978 brought up? You go back on my past, you would not let me behind this pulpit. I guarantee it. And I guarantee you, you wouldn't be up here neither. I like God's way of doing things better. In God's kingdom, there's a B.C. and an A.D. Before Christ and after I got delivered. Amen? And, and, and Jesus said... The, the two shall never meet again. I'm not crossing back over B.C. That's the old me. This is a new man that's living inside of me now. And it's a new person. And we need to be giving each other a new start. And even when we mess up after that, come on. Jesus said he throws our sins into the sea of forgetfulness and remembers them no more. He confesses them and get them over with and start off in your new life. That's the kind of culture I want to live in. Where I believe the best about people and don't dig up uh, the ugly about people. Amen. Amen. If you want to. <laughs> you know, Paul was dealing with that crazy church in Corinth. They were a new church. And, boy, they were zealous for God. 
I mean, you had to stop them. They were all trying to preach at the same time. They were doing all kind of crazy things. And Paul was trying to, trying to help them from long distance, so to speak. He was writing letters and saying, oh, you can tell he was getting frustrated. But he, was, he, he believed in this church in Corinth. He believed that they could pull it together. But he, he in uh, 2 Corinthians, in his second letter to him, in the 12th chapter, verse 20, he warns them about their culture. Y'all know what I mean when I say culture? Everybody, everybody on page with that? It's who, who we are, how we behave. Yeah. Okay, so he says, For I'm afraid that, I want, that when I come, I won't like what I find. In fact, he put off coming to Corinth because he's like, I can't go there right now. I'm just not ready for this. I'm just going to write him a letter. And when the Holy Spirit tells me to go, I'll go. And he said, You won't like my response. I'm afraid that I will find quarreling, jealousy, and anger, and selfishness. I kind of feel like selfishness is at the root of all of this. Slander. Now he's getting into the, the mouth. Gossip. Arrogance. Have you noticed how arrogant we can get when we're talking bad about somebody else? It makes us feel better, don't it? Well, I'm right, and they're wrong, and let me show you how wrong they are. Have you ever stopped to consider that you might be wrong sometimes? Have you ever stopped to consider with the measure you judge someone else, that's the measure of judgment that's going to come back to you? <laughs> Just a thought. I don't know how throwing this stuff out, you know. Arrogance and disorderly behavior. He's saying, don't let this beautiful thing that God has given you, this church of the Lord Jesus Christ, don't let it turn into the world's cancel culture. Protect it. It's worth protecting. And that's why life groups are so important in our church. I think that might be the best change that we've made in our church since I've been here is, is life groups. Just the name itself implies life in a group. <laughs> no. Community. Yes, sir, community. This is Buddy, everybody. Everybody wave at Buddy. But in the, in the early church, they met once a week in the synagogue, but they met during the week in people's homes, and they were successful with it. That's how they grew so quickly because those relationships were being formed. Jesus himself, he taught from a pulpit, so to speak. He, he, he preached to the multitudes, but he himself walked day by day with his 12 in his life group. That's where he spent the majority of his time. You know, I cannot disciple the whole church from buying this pulpit. That's the failed American experience, the church experience in America. We have thought that if somebody could teach good enough, preach good enough, be anointed enough, that he could say things from behind this pulpit that were going to turn people into disciples of Jesus Christ, and it has failed miserably. I think so. Because discipleship is primarily relational. 
It's not institutional. You need relationships with people to become a disciple. I can't preach you into being a disciple. And you know what? The word disciple is mentioned 270 times in the Bible. You know how many times the word Christian is mentioned? Three. And if you look at churches all across America today, we have a bunch of professing Christians, but very few people who will actually die to themselves, take up their cross, and follow Jesus as a disciple. Because we're here to develop Jesus' heart in you. It's what we do. We each come and learn that we may go and teach, making true disciples who will take up their cross and follow the Lord. You see the difference? We're going for something special. We're not church as usual. Oh, if I can get it across before the day is over, how special this place could be. If we'll protect our culture. You know, our culture, that's, that's the words that the Lord gave us and said, that's who you are. you got to believe it, but you also got to act on it. Faith without works is dead. You see who we are? Don't walk away and forget what manner of man God has called you to be. See that and say, I'm going to work for that. That is the way God sees me, and that is the way I'm going to uh, be. Praise God, it is ordained in heaven, I believe. So I wrote down a few benefits of life groups. I know you know all this stuff already, but first of all, they're just fun. It's just fun to do life with others that want God's best too. Some people, I hear them all the time, I want to serve the Lord, but I don't got no friends that want to serve the Lord. I don't, I don't know, I can't do anything fun because no, all my friends want to do the devil's stuff. Well, here's your opportunity with a bunch of people who, who say, I want to do God's will. You can go make friends in these life groups and have people to do God's will with. And like they said, in life groups, you get to give your opinion and express your thoughts. I mean, some of you all do that on Sundays. <laughs> <laughs> but not to the degree that you could do that in a life group. You know, a lot of people just used to, their, their experience in church is just listen, listen, okay, leave. Listen, listen, leave. But in a life group, it's like listen, form a thought, speak it. Get reaction, frame it, shape it. You're growing. You're on the potter's wheel like never before within a life group. And, and people come to life groups and they think, man, I'm too jacked up to go to a Christian thing. My life is messed up. And they get in there and they listen and they realize I'm not the only one jacked up around here. We all are. If anybody's been through the men's group with me lately, they think he's the pastor, you know. I don't know. <laughs> but people come out of their shell. I mean, you only have to look at the people who come up and have, are now life group leaders and have seen them before. 
They get to express themselves. They use their gifts and talents to minister to one another. See, life is not just, church is not just what you can get. It's really come and learn that you may go and teach. It's come and get so that you can go and give. And life groups give you that opportunity, not only to be discipled, but to make disciples. And to help somebody else. and Use your gifts and talents to minister to somebody. A place where you can truly care for one another and pray for one another. No one falls through the cracks in a life group. You know, if our church were to grow to 10,000 people on a Sunday morning, it would be easy for us to lose our culture, not know anybody, come in here and feel cold and dry. But not if we grow our life groups. We've got 200 life groups with, with 10, 15 people in each one. Everybody, nobody falls through the cracks. Everybody feels wanted, loved, and accepted. It creates family bonds for those who don't have a family or has a bad family that they can't trust or, or their, their families are long, far away. You got somebody to help you through the hard times. And it's been great in our leadership development. By the time you've gone through the next step classes, and by the time you've gone through our three-session leadership, uh, life group leadership training, man, I, I could almost turn over the keys to the church to you. I mean, you understand the heart of what's going on here and how hard it is we're working for what God wants for this church. So there's no shortage of people that I can call on now to lead ministries. And, and if somebody comes to me and says, Pastor, I've got this heart to do this outreach or whatever. And I say, oh, you've been through the life group leadership training. You've been through the next step class. You understand the heart behind what we're doing. You understand leadership principles now. Why don't you run with it? I don't have to take it over. I don't have to do everything. It's the body doing the ministry, like it says, that ought to happen. The fivefold gift is here to build you up for the work of the ministry. And life groups do such a wonderful job of helping us see past these sanctuary walls. You're, you're having a life group at your house. You can invite all your neighbors. You can invite your friends from the gym, fr friends from work, your family members. They're open to everyone. And so they're a great evangelistic tool as well. And uh, like I said, I like them just because it's fun. We're the fun church. And we do fun things. And I make no apologies about that. I just don't understand people who feel like life in the kingdom is just going to be boring and dull. I mean, even in his suffering and all the things that Paul went through... He says, that ain't nothing, man. With the excellency of the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, I, I would do all this again. He, he had joy. He was singing at the midnight hour. You understand what I'm saying? When he was going through the midnight hour, he was in stocks and chains, beaten and bloody. He sang songs and hymns and the place shook. It came from a place of joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And life groups bring joy. Most importantly, life groups are good for the one another's. And there's a bunch of scriptures in the Bible that talk about how we're to treat and love and respect and do all these things for one for another. I'm going to share just a few real quick. Romans 12.10 says, Love one another with brotherly affection. 
not like I did my brother, but the, <laughs> the, the AD version, how I would treat him now. We treated each other a lot better once he grew up in the same size as me. <clears throat> I didn't, you know, we didn't have problems anymore after that. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Romans 12, 16 says, live in harmony. Say harmony. There's that word again, with one another. 2 Corinthians 13, 11 says, comfort one another. Agree with one another. Galatians 6, 2 says, bear one another's burdens. They're good for the one another's. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore encourage one another and build one another up. In verse 15 it says, Always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Hebrews 10.24, I mean this could be the motto for the life groups. Stir one another to love and good works. And that sounds like a life group motto right there, doesn't it? We're stirring one another. James 5.16 says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. That's where that iron sharpening iron begins to happen. Confessing your sins, being able to be honest with one another, holding each other accountable. And 1 Peter 4.1 says, as each has received a gift, and you have gifts, use it to serve one another. Your gifts are not supposed, your fruit is not supposed to sit there and rot on the vine. You're not supposed to sit there and eat your own fruit and get all bloated. You're producing fruit for the kingdom of God that others may partake of. You have gifts and abilities and talents and experience that other people don't have, and that's where you use it in a life group. If anybody in here doesn't believe in life groups, after all this, I just don't know what to tell you. I believe in them because I see the ref- the fruit of it. Isn't that how you judge a tree? By the fruit? I love the fruit of our life groups. But sometimes the familiar, how you say that word, familiarity that life groups provide with one another can present some challenges. Because it's easy to say, I love you, brother, at church but you don't really know their personality. And so now we're about a year and a half, close to two years into this life group experiment. And we have begun to see, I don't like her. (laughs) Or I don't like him. And there's not my favorites. And, And so, you know, sometimes we're the harshest with our own family members. More so than we are with strangers. We can be nice to strangers. Be just so pleasant. But once you get to know somebody, you think you can open that mouth and just tear them apart and stuff. Say mean things. We got to be careful that our familiarity with one another doesn't cancel our culture. Life groups don't need to work against us. What we need to do is make sure that we're growing our character along in the life groups. And, and, and remember these things that we're talking about here today. We need to be careful not to let our closeness cancel our culture. And that's good preaching for your family, too. If you done got into a habit where you're yelling at the kids, yelling at your spouse, 
And all these things, two words, yes, dear. <laughs> Just kidding. Getting to know one another is messy work because we all got different personalities. But you know, because somebody's personality is different than yours, some are more demonstrative, some are laid back, some, you know, God made them. Did I mention that? And they're God's masterpiece and God didn't want us all to be the same. Did I mention all that? And how that we should learn to celebrate each other's personalities and our differences instead of saying, well, they're not like me. I don't like them. Sometimes it's like we're little kids in the sandbox. Right? Just think about that. We do it in a more dignified manner. But we ought to let people be. They're who God called them to be. Jesus, he gathered 12 people together to walk with him. And I'm thinking to myself, if you study out who these disciples were, it's like, boy, he's asking for trouble. Do you know Matthew was a tax collector? Uh, that means he was Jewish, but he, he betrayed his Jewish brethren to work for the Romans. The hated Romans who were, you know, they were in control and the Jewish people were just allowed to live there. And so they hated tax collectors because they were basically traitors to their own Jewish people. And so Jesus said, Matthew, come follow me with a bunch of. And did you know there was another disciple named Simon? They called him the zealot. A zealot was somebody who was so anti-Rome that they wanted to, by any means necessary, including violence, to get rid of the Roman rule. And they were so ready for the Messiah to come in on a white horse and destroy all the enemies. Can you imagine how Simon the zealot looked at Matthew, the tax collector, when Jesus invited him into the group? Do you think there was a personality conflict? Because outside of this group, I will kill you. <laughs> Zealots were known for violent disruption. Man, you had James and John. They got their mom to go to Jesus and ask Jesus, when you go, enter into your kingdom, can, can my two sons, James and John, sit on either side of you? And the other disciples heard about this, and they, they were upset. I'm just telling you, Jesus had problems in his life group too. Because you got different personalities, people coming from different places. But Jesus simply said, you know, if you want to be, if you want to be the leader of all, the greatest, you, you got to be the servant of all. You, Will that preach? I don't even need to preach it then because it's already preaching. So Jesus just said, hey, you want to be all that? Then humble yourself and serve these people and get to know them. And another thing I thought about, Judas was in Jesus' life group. Judas, the betrayer, 
who sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. And Jesus knew it was coming the whole time. And how did he treat Judas? He washed his feet. <laughs> Shared his bread. If you're having a problem with somebody in your life group, you remember Judas was in Jesus' life group and how he treated Judas. And go and do likewise. The early church had their problems. That church I told you about was growing leaps and bounds and spread the gospel all over the world. You could talk about all the great things they did, but they had arguments uh, about the Greek widows and the Jewish widows, who's getting the most food, and they went back and forth. They had all kind of doctrinal issues. What are we going to do with the, the Greek-speaking believers? Should they follow the Jewish customs? They, they had all these issues. Do you know issues are a part of life? Don't be surprised when you have issues in the church. I think some people come to church and they believe, well, I should never have an issue now. I'm among the godly. Let me get my halo out. Well, welcome to the real world. Welcome to Jesus' life group. Where there's different personalities. And I can't stress that enough. You want somebody to let you live the way you want to live, you got to let them live the way they want to live. you got to let them be who they're called to be. Please. In the mortal words of Rodney King, can't we all just get along? I mean that the city was on fire. And I believe those words were inspired by the Lord Jesus Christ. Simply, can't we all just get along? We're all living down here together. We're all experiencing the same mercy, the same grace from the Lord Jesus Christ. Can't we just give that to one another? Can't we all just get along? Please? Because I'm telling you, I want you to understand what's within our grasp. This could be the most beautiful experience for the rest of your life. This could be so beautiful that it draws men from all walks of life, men and women. I've got to have what they got at the Passion Church. I've got to have that love. I've got to have that place of acceptance. I've got to have somebody that's not going to judge me where I'm at right now so that I can get to where I need to get to be where I want to be to do what I want to do. Sorry, I broke into Rocky there for a minute. <laughs> you know how many people leave the church because somebody shoots them down as they're trying to grow? They're doing their best. They're, they're where they're at, but they can't help it. That's where they're at, and we shoot them down because they ain't where we think they ought to be. I want you to understand it can be different. I want you to understand what could be within our grasp as a church that truly follows the principles of the Bible. Romans 12, verse 9.
Paul says, don't just pretend to love others. Why would he have to say that? Are there people that just pretend to love others? No, really love them. I mean, I'm talking 1 Corinthians 13 kind of love. I'm talking about believing the best, being patient, long-suffering. Really love them. Now, hate what is wrong, but don't hate the wrongdoer, okay? Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. I think the King James says that we ought to prefer one another. What? Even over myself? Never be lazy. Now that's totally off the topic here. <laughs> but that will cause problems when the people in the church are doing way more than their share and you're not doing anything. Just throw that out there. But work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Man, I'm telling you, this is who we are. We rejoice in our confident hope. We're patient in trouble and we keep on praying. If you don't know what to, what to say, pray before you open your mouth. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be ready to practice hospitality. Yeah, you're home with the dishes in the sink and the smelly carpet. Invite them over anyway. <laughs> you ain't been to their house yet. Bless those who persecute you. <laughs> People were surprised to come to my house the other day, realize I ain't even got any carpet in my living room anymore. We got a, on a concrete floor in my, in my line. I mean, if I was all haughty toddy, I was like, no, y'all ain't coming to my house right now. No, I practice hospitality. It ain't about the carpet. <laughs> Bless those who... Per I'm sorry, I didn't mean to tell on you. <laughs> it was my fault. I, you know, I ripped it up. But bless those who persecute you. Now, that's tough. But don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. If you don't like somebody, here's an idea. Don't tell everybody else. Don't tell them. Tell God and pray about it and, and start praying about and for that person. And before you know it, God will soften your heart and that person might become your best friend. But, you know, because salt and pepper get along real good on the table. Just because you ain't, they, we want everything to be alike. But don't, don't come to my house expecting two peppers on the table. You're going to have a salt and a pepper. Be happy with those that are happy. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony. There the word is again. Ah, live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And guess what? We're all ordinary people. <laughs> and don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with evil. Do things in such a way that you can see, everyone can see that you are honorable. And do everything you can to live in peace with those you like. 
Do everything you can to live in peace with those who think like you. Well, where, where, where's, the, where's the scripture? Verse 18. Do everything you can to live in peace with everyone. Some of you are saying, I don't like this church no more. <laughs> you mean I got to... I'm telling you a better way. I'm telling you a better way. We, I'm telling you that we are to all learn to celebrate together. If you look at the faces around you, as I'm looking out across the sea of faces, there's not a face in here that is not a success story. They may not be where you want them to be, but they're not where they used to be. And they could be in a gutter right now. They could have been shot in the head a long time ago in a drug deal, but they're in church right now. And that's a reason to celebrate. We want to kick people to the curb. Are you kidding me? We don't kick people to the curb. We came from the curb. We came here so we don't have to go back to the curb. We're not curb people anymore. We celebrate. Look at that person say, oh, they ain't far along. They, ain't, they don't do it right. That, well, they don't know better yet. Celebrate with them where they are as opposed to where they used to be, not where they ain't yet. Give them a chance. Give them a chance. Celebrate together. We are to come in and we are to recognize the beauty of what God is doing in each and every life here. It's a beautiful thing. It's our culture. We're a fire igniting the passionate pursuit of true purpose in people's lives. Everyone matters here. We're a hospital of hope kind of thing. We need, you know, when you say a harsh word, you talk about somebody and that gets back to them, that just makes them want to give up. And you're hindering the work that Jesus is trying to do in their life. But if you say a kind word, you might not like anything they ever did, but you thought to yourself, you, you, you worked for two weeks to try to think of something you like about them. And you went and you said that. Watch how their countenance will change. This is the potential to be heaven on earth right here. This is, that's what God intended for his church, to be without spot, without wrinkle, a place of celebration, not just on Sundays, but all through the week. A place where we help each other grow and we grow in the Lord together and we're making disciples and not just far off Christians. This week, uh, Josh had a friend spend the night I guess Josh is 19 or 20 years old, something like that. His friends spent the night, and they got up early the next morning. They were about ready to go to work, and, and I was cooking me some waffles. I had me some waffles in the toaster, 
and I had me some butter. I was fixing to slather all over it, pour some syrup on it. I had me some chocolate milk sitting there ready. And I was already smelling, you know, it's toasted. I was getting ready for them waffles. And Josh, we got one of them four toaster things, and Josh put him a couple pieces of toast in there. He was going to cook him some toast. And I noticed, you know, being 19, he ain't thinking about his friend, you know. I said, his friend named Christian. I said, Christian, do you want some breakfast? Christian said, no, no, I, I'm good. I, I don't eat breakfast a lot of times. Yeah. And I said, so I took him at his word. Sure. So my waffles poof, come out, put them down, put the butter on them, got to serve. And I was just fixing it. And something came over me. I don't know what it was. And I put the fork on the plate. I went over and handed it to Christian. I said, here, boy, eat you something. Man, he gobbled down them waffles like nobody business. <laughs> Like he ain't ate in three weeks. He went over so happy, washed the plate off in the sink and everything. And it made me feel so good to get outside myself. I let go of my ego. (laughs) What I really did was I let go of my ego, thinking it's all about me. I let go of my ego, and it made me feel so good. Me and Angie went to lunch that day. I was such a good mood. I bought the guy's lunch that was in line behind us. And I was thinking to myself, this is how life are to be led. You know, you can get up and make the day what you want it to be. It's our decision what kind of life we're going to live. It's our decision how we're going to treat other people. We're going to live in this cancel culture, in this darkness of the world. Or are we going to shine as lights in this generation? You know what I'm saying? We are the light of the world. We can choose to to do those kind of things to bless people. That's where the joy is. Jesus, the most underrated scripture in all the Bible says it's more blessed to give than to receive. Boy, when you start giving, your life just starts picking up. You just get this countenance about you. I felt so good all that day. And I'm just saying all this to say is who's going to buy me lunch today? I want you to experience this joy. No, I know you would, brother. How wonderful and how pleasant when brothers live together in harmony. Let's say that in harmony. In harmony. Okay, we got some work to do, right? But it can be done. It can be done. Well, I want to take a moment for anybody in here who may not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. There may not be anybody in here, and if there's not anybody in in the building, there's probably somebody on the live stream. And if you would, be praying for me as as I express this right now. And also be praying that why there's nobody in here that's lost. And what we can do to change that as well, okay? All right. Jesus wants that kind of life for you. He wants your life to just be a walking miracle. He's not holding your past against you. He paid the sin debt on the cross. Jesus wants you to experience life and life more abundantly than you could have imagined. He wants you to step on in (laughs) to true life, to true love, to true light. He he don't want you walking in darkness. He don't want you walking in drama. 
he's tired of all the people, the, the, the hatred and the division that this, this nation and this world provides. And he's making a clear distinction. And he's saying, you don't have to go over there anymore. You can come unto me and cast your cares on me, for I care for you. I will wash away your sins with my very own blood, Jesus would say to you today. And I'll forget them, cast them into the sea of forgetfulness. I don't want to remember your sins. I want to see the new you. I want to see the person I created you to be. And if you're in here or whether you're on the live stream, all you got to do is say, yes, Lord. That's all he says is you'll confess him to be the Lord of your life. Just believe he is who he says he is and which he proved when he raised from the dead and resurrected. And he'll resurrect your life right now. He will. He did it to me. He did it to so many people in this room. We are a room full of miracles. We are a room of success stories of how Jesus took us from nothing and made our lives count and gave us everlasting life, a home in heaven, a stature in the family of God. If you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, Simply confess with me right now. Say, Jesus, I'm sorry for my sins. Please forgive me and be the Lord of my life. Resurrect me. Help me walk in the light as you are in the light. I give you my heart and I pledge to follow you. Please fill me with your Holy Spirit. Show me how to walk out this life in a brand new way. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.